In July of 2007, in the remote town of Nanup in Western Australia, an entire family disappeared. A note was left which read, Gone to Brazil. And Chantel and her daughter Leela, her partner and family friend, vanished into thin air. What we'll find as we learn more about this family is that the man at the centre was a controlling internet cult leader living under a stolen identity. Did he do something to Chantel and Leela? Or did the entire family go off the grid and have been living somewhere, unable to be found, for the last 16 years? This episode contains content related to cults, homicide and suicide, and is not suitable for children. Today I'm delving into the missing persons cases of Chantelle and Leela McDougall, last seen in the town of Nanup, just before they were preparing to relocate to Brazil. I'm Carla Morgan and this is Bolo, a podcast covering cold and active missing persons cases with the aim of helping families bring their loved ones home. After completing grade 12, Chantelle studied acting and the arts while she worked as a swimming teacher and lifeguard in Melbourne, Victoria. She visited an ashram in 1997, where she met a guy with whom she later started a relationship. They went together to a seminar held by a man called Simon Cadwell and were immediately drawn in by his teachings. They later moved in with Simon and his partner Deborah and Chantelle was hired as a nanny to their son. Chantelle was young, social, free-spirited and spiritual and this promise of living a new lifestyle with a family who was like-minded and who spoke what she considered to be the truth, was very alluring. In 1998-99, Chantelle and Deborah went to Perth to a women's group session where they met a woman called Justine. They shared Simon's teaching with her, and Justine became a follower. In 1999, Deborah and Simon separated, and he went to the UK with Justine, where she was not only his devotee, but also his partner. Around this time, Chantelle and her boyfriend moved to WA, which is Western Australia, with Deborah and her son to a town called Floriat, where she later ended her relationship with her partner. She then helped Simon obtain a visa to come back to Australia, which he did, and Justine and he returned to WA. So Chantelle... Simon, Justine, and Deborah and their son all lived together for a time. Chantelle was 19 years old and Simon was 38. Simon had intimate relationships with all three women and all of the women considered themselves followers of his teachings. I think it's safe to say they were groomed to be his domestic slaves and financial providers as each of the women worked outside the home to bring money in while Simon spent most of his time on the internet conversing with his followers and spruiking his belief system. In 2000, Deborah left with their son, but the household expanded again 
when Chantal became pregnant and gave birth to Leela in September of 2001. The following year, Justine left. In the coroner's report, it states that Justine left to, quote, break away from Simon's influence. She found it quite emotionally challenging because she felt that the group had a kind of cult influence on her. Part of the context of the group when she was in it was a discouragement to contact her family or to focus on the past, end quote. So the family, consisting of Chantelle, Simon and Leela, who was just two years old, moved to Nanup to an isolated property. Nanup is a small regional town around 280 kilometres south of the capital city of Western Australia, which is Perth. With a population of around 600 people, it's a small country town where everyone knows everyone. Around this time, a friend by the name of Tony Popich moved into a caravan on the property with them. He also worked to support the family, and he was a devotee of Simon and his teachings. Leela was bubbly and energetic, and Chantelle would take her to swimming lessons and karate lessons and the local playgroups in their new community. Chantelle got a job at the local Nanup Hotel and the town's fish and chip shop, and Tony was working at the hardware store. Chantelle was also Leela's full-time carer and sold makeup and excess eggs from their property on the side. They were friendly and well-liked by the townsfolk, not like Simon. People were wary of him. He was antisocial, and he was overtly controlling over Chantelle. Observers and friends said she was brainwashed by him and very subservient. He was frequently seen driving past her workplace just to check on her and keep an eye on what she was doing or perhaps more likely, to let her know he was watching her and keeping tabs on her whereabouts and every move. It's said he had ultimate power and control over her and would never allow her to walk in front of or beside him, always behind. He also didn't like her associating with, inverted commas, regular people. He didn't want Chantelle hanging out with people who weren't, according to his teachings, going on to the next plane after this life. Chantelle's parents, Jim and Kathy, went over to WA to visit them twice while she was living there. She had always maintained a close relationship with them despite Simon's disapproval. They recall bizarre behaviour from Simon. He wouldn't allow them to take any photos of Leela and they felt uncomfortable when he was around. He also asked Chantelle's mother which planet she was from and not in the way most people use that phrase to describe someone a little eccentric. In 2007, a few things happened that were the likely catalysts to Simon suggesting the family relocate to Brazil. The plan was to live in a commune and do charity work over there. The place they were moving to was called Rio Branco and is well known for cult activity and spiritualists. The first thing that happened was that an electrical transformer was installed on the council power pole about 90 metres from the house on the street out the front of their rental property. Simon was immediately concerned about the electrical interference and believed it would kill them, or that it was killing them. This transformer was never actually connected in the time that they were living there. 
Chantelle's previous partner alerted the local police back in 2004 that Simon was a cult leader and also revealed that he was using a stolen identity, that his real name was Gary Felton. Police couldn't really find anything on Simon that was alarming, so they sat on this information until he was pulled over for speeding in May of 2007, and they asked him about his previous life in England. This local copper reported that Simon was uncomfortable with the questioning, and when he found out they had suddenly left a few months later, this copper believes his interaction with him played a part. He believed Simon was concerned police would reveal that he was living under this false identity. And it was very soon after this interaction with police that Chantelle applied for a passport for Leela. It arrived a few weeks later when Christine's mum was visiting. She asked Chantelle if they were going somewhere and Simon grabbed the passport and rushed upstairs and Chantelle changed the subject. Also in May, Simon told one of his followers by email that there was a plan for a family suicide with a quick-acting drug. They were going to wander into the wilderness area where he, Chantelle and Leela would take the drug and Tony would bury them. Then Tony would wander further into the wilderness and take the drug where no one would find his body. This follower discouraged him and advised him to just move away instead. And around this time, Simon told an acquaintance that he was severely depressed and was taking antipsychotic meds. He then emailed the devotee mentioned previously to say he was going to end his own life. From June of 2007, Simon was not seen in public, nor was he present on the internet with his followers. He did, however, send and receive a few emails up until mid-July. Here's what happened in the lead-up to the family going missing. Chantelle advised their landlords that they were leaving. She also called her parents to tell them Simon had already left for Brazil and that she and Leela would be following him shortly. Her parents said that she sounded excited for the upcoming trip and the opportunities it would provide them to live their lifestyle with people who were like-minded. Tony visited his parents in Manjimup to say goodbye. This was around the 10th or 11th of July. He told them Simon would spend a few days in Perth before going on to Brazil, and that he would sort things out there before sending for Chantal and Leela. Importantly, Tony told his parents that he wasn't going to Brazil. He was going to Alice Springs, which is in the middle of Australia in the Northern Territory. He then sold his car and went to the local courthouse to appoint his brother Joseph power of attorney. He mailed the documents to his brother, so Joseph only found out about this when he received the documents via post. Chantelle then set about selling her beloved Daxons, who had just had puppies, as well as her car. She sold the car for $4,000 in the nearby town of Bustleton and deposited the funds into her bank account. This was on the 13th of July, and the following day she sold the very last puppy to a woman who came to the house to collect it, and this was the last known sighting of Chantelle and Leela. When no one could be reached at the property, the landlords arrived the following day and found the note. 
It read, We have left suddenly due to the lack of sleep created by the EMF. We have moved overseas to Brazil and could not take most of our furniture with us. All our personal effects have gone, but whatever we have left is yours to do as you wish. Power, phone and gas have been disconnected. Sorry to leave so quickly. All animals have been taken care of. So the house was clean with all the furniture left inside. The fridge had been cleared out and personal items, sheets and towels were all gone. Three months after there had been no contact, so in October 2007, Chantel's father James McDougall reported to police in Victoria that Chantel and Leela were missing and that he had serious concerns for their welfare. Tony's brother, Joseph Popich, contacted Western Australian Police in early November to report that Tony was also missing. Once police were on the case, they realised the money for the car in Chantel's bank account had never been touched. Their passports had never left Australia, according to immigration records. Passenger lists for flights from WA to Brazil were checked, and searches in the area of Rio Branco conducted, but nothing to date has been found to indicate that Chantel and Leela were there, or Simon or Tony, or that they were anywhere else for that matter. Further investigation into Simon revealed he was not who he claimed to be. He was a UK national called Gary Felton. He had been working in the UK for a software company when he met a colleague by the name of Simon Cadwell. He then stole Simon's birth certificate and obtained a false passport in his name. He used this passport to travel to America and India before entering Australia where he met Chantel. He lived under that name the entire time he was with Chantel and Lula. This was possibly why he was never named on Lila's birth certificate as her father and presumably why he never had a job outside the home. All part of the plan to keep his fake identity a secret. Simon, or Gary as we know his real name was, was the leader of what is widely reported in the media as a doomsday cult. Many of his followers would not agree with this definition though. He believed the world was at the end of a 75,000-year cycle and would transform into a new plane. He wrote books which he published on the web and he had about 50 followers from around the world. He believed he and his followers existed on a higher plane to everybody else and that leaving this earth and ascending to the higher plane was their destiny. In June of 2007, he communicated with some devotees via an online chat room saying he was going to leave the world. He also mentioned taking a suicide pill as a family, but then also said they would just wander off into the wilderness. So there were quite a few conflicting stories, perhaps all part of the wider plan to confuse and cover up his real intent. If you'd like to support the show, you can click on the link in the show notes to buy me a virtual coffee. This will help me cover the costs of making the podcast and to continue to create more content. If you're enjoying the podcast, please go to Apple, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen to rate and review. This really helps our stories be seen and heard by more people.
When police looked more closely at the movements of the family just prior to them leaving, they created a timeline of the main events that took place. Chantel called the gas, phone and electricity companies to have their services disconnected. Then, as we know, Chantel sold her car and animals and Tony arranged power of attorney to be given to his brother. On the 12th of July, someone called from the landline at the property and bought a ticket under the name J. Roberts from Bridgetown to Northcliffe for the 15th of July. This ticket was never used. On the 13th of July, a ticket was purchased using cash at the East Perth train station for a return journey from East Perth to Kalgoorlie on the morning of the 16th of July. The ticket was also for a passenger named Jay Roberts. On the 15th of July, a ticket was purchased for Jay Roberts at the Bunbury train station to travel from Bunbury to Perth and a man did take this ticket to Perth, arriving about 5pm. Tony's phone was recorded as being in the Perth area around that time. His driver's licence was used to check into a backpacker's hostel in the area, and his phone was used to order a pizza. The delivery driver identified Tony as the person who received it, but it was years later that this occurred, so it's possible it wasn't Tony and was actually Simon using Tony's phone and ID. I'll just point out here that the coroner believes it was Tony who took this trip. The next morning, the person using Tony's phone called a taxi, which took him from the backpackers to the train station. Someone then boarded the train to Kalgoorlie, which was the ticket that had been booked a few days earlier. While Tony was supposedly in the taxi, or whoever was using Tony's phone and ID was in the taxi, another ticket was booked under the name J. Roberts to Northcliffe, and an unknown person used that ticket, which left the train station around 9.30am. There's a lot to unpack here with the movements of two men. So if Tony was using his phone and his own ID... He bought a return ticket to Kalgoorlie on the 13th under the name J. Roberts. He travelled from Bunbury to Perth by train, arriving in Perth around 5pm on the afternoon of the 15th. He used his driver's licence to check into a backpacker's and his phone to order pizza. And then on the morning of the 16th, he took a taxi from the backpacker's to Perth train station where he boarded that train to Kalgoorlie. That's all we know. If it wasn't Tony, it was likely Simon using Tony's phone and ID. But if so, who was the man who bought a ticket under the name J. Roberts from Perth train station to Northcliffe, who boarded at 9.30am the same morning the other J. Roberts boarded the train to Kalgoorlie? Were they both travelling under the same name to different locations and didn't know it? Or was Tony oblivious to Simon's movements and making his way to Alice Springs, as he had told his family was the plan? Or was this part of a greater plan that the two men cooked up together to meet up again later? Again, we really don't know. In December of 2017, a coronial inquest was held into the suspected death of Chantelle and Leela McDougall, Tony Popich and Gary Felton. Some key points to note. 
On the 24th of July in 2007, a Canadian male who had visited Simon in 2003 to 2004 in Nanup killed himself with pentobarbital. On the 26th of August the following year, in 2008, a second Canadian male who had also visited with Simon and his girlfriend killed themselves with pentobarbital. Their suicide notes said that they were above this world and were moving on to a higher plane. There were a number of unconfirmed sightings and leads for Chantelle, Leela, Tony and Simon, which didn't amount to anything tangible. The house was not searched until 2008, by which time new tenants had moved in, so there was no point in forensically searching the house. There were searches conducted of the property in 2012, along with five dams that were on the property, but nothing of note was found. Ultimately, the coroner reported that there wasn't enough evidence to conclude whether they were alive or dead. So in summary, here are the possible theories about what has happened. The whole family all disappeared into the wilderness here and are living off the grid, unable to be located. The fact that neither Chantel nor Tony have made contact with family over the past 16 years might suggest otherwise and is out of character for them. The Brazil trip may have just been a ruse to throw everyone off their, or Simon's, actual intended plan. Chantel did take belongings and sheets and towels from the house. You'd think with the intention of using them elsewhere. She also sold her car and puppies and deposited the funds, likely with the intention of using those funds. But it's very possible that she was unaware of any alternative plan that Simon may have cooked up, like I mentioned before. The second theory is that they all went to Brazil or another country and are living elsewhere. They could have taken a cargo ship from Fremantle to South America to avoid being detected leaving by immigration here. If they all left under assumed identities, the question begs to be asked as to why they purchased a passport in Lila's real name and why they have not touched any of their funds. The third theory is that they all participated, with the exception of Lila as a minor who could not, in a group suicide pact, and to date their remains haven't been located. Hiding four bodies is a tall order. So there may be some truth to the theory that Chantel and Lila died first, and possibly Tony, and were buried. Then Simon moved on alone. Why would Tony appoint his brother power of attorney if he intended to continue living here? There were also very severe bushfires that ravaged the area, which may have made finding them impossible. The fourth theory is that Simon murdered Chantel and Lila, then fled under an assumed name, while Tony disappeared himself. And the fifth theory, Simon murdered Chantel, Leela and Tony and then committed suicide himself. Or some other combination of the above theories. What we do know is that Chantel, Leela and Tony are all listed as missing persons, but Simon is listed as a suspect. I just want to add here for those of you listening who may suspect that you're in a cult or under the coercive control of a cult-like leader, that there is help out there for you. No one joins a cult voluntarily. 
They are drawn in by the teachings and then groomed until they are subservient to the leader's demands. If you aren't sure, here are a few key points that you can ask yourself to help identify if you are indeed living in or part of a cult. The full list of these can be found on the website by Dr. Yanya Lalich, which you can find in the link to the episode sources. I've cherry-picked and summarised some of the main ones here. The group displays an unquestioning commitment to its leader and regards their belief system, ideology and practices as the truth. Questioning, doubt and dissent are discouraged. The leadership dictates, sometimes in great detail, how members should think, act and feel. The group is elitist, claiming a special exalted status for itself, its leader and its members. The group has a polarised us versus them mentality, which may cause conflict with the wider society. The leader is not accountable to any authorities, unlike, for example, teachers, ministers, priests, or rabbis of mainstream religious denominations. The group teaches or implies that its supposedly exalted ends justify whatever means it deems necessary. This may result in members participating in behaviours or activities that they would have considered reprehensible or unethical before joining the group. For example, lying to friends or family. In this case, murdering a child or people under the guise of spiritual ascension. Subservience to the leader or group requires members to cut ties with family and friends. Members are encouraged or required to live and or socialise only with other group members. And the most loyal members, the true believers, feel there can be no life outside the context of the group. They believe there is no other way to be and often fear reprisals to themselves or others if they leave or even consider leaving. If this is you and you need help, there are resources available and jhanalalich.com is a good place to start. Chantelle's parents hope to find answers. They hope that Chantelle and Leela are still out there somewhere. They just want to know they are okay and they miss them deeply. Chantelle was 27 and Leela just 6 at the time of their disappearance. Today they would be 43 and 22, still so young with so much to live for. If you or anyone you know know anything at all, please contact Police Link on 131 4 or call Crime Stoppers on 1-800-333-000. Thanks for listening to Bolo. If this episode has brought up feelings for you and you need support, please reach out to Lifeline on 13 11 14, the Suicide Callback Service on 1-300-659-467, or the National Sexual Assault and Family Domestic Violence Line on 1800RESPECT. You can connect with me on Insta or TikTok at bolo.pod or email me at bolo.pod at icloud.com if you have a case you'd like me to cover. Stay safe and thank you so much for listening.